Well, hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of For Those About to Pod, We Salute You. On this episode, Match Year in Rock is 2011. We discuss the latest news, we have our hidden gems, and we discuss the man behind the desk, behind the window, the producer. But before we go any further... Let me introduce to you my partner in crime, the high priest of podcasting himself, Mr. Matt Rogers. Hey, Matt, how you doing? Hello, Brian. Yeah, very good. Thank you. The high priest of podcasting. I like that. Very much indeed. I think <laughs> I, I've got a feeling I'm more of a kind of altar boy of, um, of podcasting rather than the high priest. But thank you all the same. So um, this is our 18th, by the way, Brian. What, 18th show? Wow, Eight, fabulous. Uh, 18. 18 podcasts in to our two and a half million podcast career. <laughs> um, so um, it made me think, actually, do you remember your 18th, your 18th birthday? I imagine you were getting ready for your 15 years at university, <laughs> packing your bags. Oh, no, you were, uh, no, I remember you, you'd already packed your bags when you were 16, hadn't you? <laughs> so you're already, you know, bags packed. So off he went. With my denim so, jacket with meatloaf on the back. Denim jacket, exactly. <laughs> meatloaf, patch. So do you remember it? Do you remember No, I don't. I, I genuinely do not remember my 18th birthday. I have oh, no idea. That's a shame. I thought it was going to be a really funny section. No. Uh, <laughs> I can remember my 21st, but I can't remember, uh, I can't remember. No, I can't remember my 18th. I got a lovely, I got a lovely watch. Mum and Dad bought me a lovely watch for my 18th birthday. Oh, lovely. Yeah. I, w- I won't ask if you've still got it, of course. I have. I still have it. Oh, uh, that's nice. I still have it, yes. All these years later. And what about I, you? Uh, what about a new and good old England Shire? Were, were you up to up to no good in your 18th birthday? Oh, really? No, I did. I, I was thinking about it. I did, I did go out with some friends on my actual 18th, I think. We went to the pub. Because uh, you could. That was the thing. I mean, you and I can now drink legally in Britain because you have to be 18 to drink yes. in this country to, you know, alcohol. Well, not obviously water and tea, but alcohol. Um, and yeah, I think we just went out and sort of celebrated that, really. The fact that, uh, you know, you could, you could have a couple of beers. Although in those days, I mean, this is, you know, a few years ago, it, it, as long as you looked sort of 18-ish, then you were, you know, you could have whatever you like. So it was, yeah, I do remember going out. I, I remember actually one present I got, and I don't remember it was a kind of a group thing or one person got it for me, but I, I got uh, Coda, which was the Led Zepp sort of ah, bookend right. yeah. to their career, which came out in about, I think, 82. It's still a good album, actually. Never listened these, to it. I, I, uh, yeah. We should, it should. It's got, I, I'm going to crawl and waters walk and, I can't quit you, baby, and and so on. I'm only saying these because so you'll put them on the, um, on the <laughs> playlist, of course. It's purely mercenary. Um, so anyway, we are 18, Brian. So we are yeah, 18. Ha- happy 18th to us. Exactly. Our um, podcast can now go and have a drink. That's right. Legally <laughs> in Britain. I had to wait a few years in America, of course. Anyway, episode um, 21. Indeed. So Brian, onto the news. What has been happening and what has caught your eye in the last few weeks? It seems to be every time we do a podcast, we lose somebody in the rock community. 
Um, and last week was a last week was a big loss. Um, Mr. Charlie Watts, mm-hmm. eighty years of age, who was the the drummer, the timekeeper for the Rolling Stones, passed away um, yeah. very peacefully um, amongst his his friends and family. And I think the outpouring of love and tributes to Charlie Watts from everybody um, just shows you how much he was revered. Um, just as a musician, and 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 I've listened to, uh, listened to and read a few of the tributes and stories, and you probably know this story as well. You probably read it last week, where um, the Stones, I think the Stones were held or were, were holed up in a hotel, and Mick Jagger was calling for, "Where's my drummer? Where's my drummer?" And Charlie Watts came out and chinned him and said, "I'm not your drummer. You're my singer." <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, he just uh, yeah, a great drummer. Um, and I think the Stones will keep go keep going. I know Steve Jordan, um, who's played with uh, John Mayer, and he's played in the Winos along with uh, with Keith Richards. He's gonna he was planning to sit in on the tour anyway. So I can right. see the Stones keeping going um, hmm. at least for this tour. But yeah, sad passing of Charlie Watts. Love Absolutely. the Stones. Love the Stones. Yeah, yep. That no, was sad. He had a good innings, bless him. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's a shame. What, a, what an icon. I always thought he was the kind of straight man of the Stones. I'm sure he had a, you know, an interesting past, but, uh, you know, quite a lot of, often look at pictures. There's a classic, I forget what era it is, fairly recent, maybe the last 20 years. And you got Keith <laughs> and Mick <laughs> and Ronnie. They're all looking a bit disheveled. Yes. To say the least. It's only because essentially it's always it's been the last it's, since Bill Wyman left. It's kind of the four of them, isn't it? Really, yes. with hired hands and you know and all that. Um, so you had those three kind of reprobates, scruffy-looking Herberts, and then <laughs> and then Charlie, immaculately dressed, probably a suit, maybe a tie. There's a few clips of him, and I, you know, when he's kind of rolling his eyes as if to say, "Oh God, what's he up to now?" Sort of thing. When Jagger's prancing around. So, I mean, I'll miss him for that kind of straight guy sort of um, style, I suppose. And uh, as you say, you know, metronomic, not flash. Yeah. No, no, certainly not a kind of a Mike Portnoy or a Neil Peel or whatever. You know, one of those kind of drummers, but certainly, you know, one of those underrated, metronomic, on the money, and will be, will be missed, as you say. So, Dave Lee Roth and Gene Simmons, what's happening there? <laughs> what's happened? What, what's, what's going on? They're they're, they're big boys. They shouldn't shouldn't need to be doing this in the press. What's happened there, Brian? No matter what's happened in the last week, Gene's obviously come out and apologised and said, you know, sorry, I had a bad pizza and a bad cheese sandwich and Dave, I love you. Because it's as if the backward compliment to Dave that says, you're one of the world's greatest showmen, etc. But... Mm. um, you know, you're not at the heights of your power. Therefore, we we we're not going to have you supporting us on the tour, etc. And yeah. and Dave just replies back with a white, with a black and white picture of a little a child giving a single digit sign. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and I think he, did he retweet it about eighteen times? <laughs> possibly, possibly. And I think understandably, yeah. Gene Gene came out and said. That um, David Lee Roth was one of his great, one of the greatest front men, probably better than Jagger, Plant, Rod Stewart, but he's not anymore. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's a bit cruel because you know we're, we're all getting on a bit, and it was as we've discussed before. 
there's a medical thing whereby, you know, your voice changes, certainly men. Yeah. And, you know, I did think, well, you know, there's an old adage that, uh, you know, all publicity is good publicity. And this this has got to be great for Kiss, good for David Lee Roth as well, because bring, certainly brings David Lee Roth back into the public eye, as it were, mm. at least, you know, a public eye. As you said, Gene's come out and, and apologised. Paul Stanley has chipped in and said, he didn't mean it, you know. We've all had a lot to drink. Come on, let's. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's just a bit of fun, I think, ultimately, at the end of the day. Good publicity all around. I think so. And, and then, ironically, ironically, all of this publicity in, on social media, and then Paul Stanley uh, um, gets test positive for COVID and kiss her off the road for the next oh, really? 10 days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh, they're dear. all off the road. Um, so kiss her, kiss her going to uh, miss her next three shows, etc. Which, which in it, which in itself, um, when you, when you look at the news uh, around rock, it seems to be besides new albums and new releases, and uh, you know, you and I are excitingly waiting for the new Iron Maiden album. But it just seems Absolutely. to be seems to be everybody seems to be coming down with um, with COVID nineteen for whatever reasons. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Black Star Rider yep. was supposed to be headlining Stone Dead festival uh, last weekend and they had to pull out and good old Uriah Heap again. Trusty old Uriah Heap <laughs> stepped up again. Always on the bench. Exactly. Always ready to put their boots on, tuck the shin pads in. Yep, we're, we're up for it. Exactly. And the way they came. Super sub, super sub Heap. Absolutely. Sounded like a good festival actually. We should go next year to that in all seriousness. Yeah, Sounded it looked good. Good, a good festival. It looked really good. Terravision were on the bill. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's. I think it's run by the Donington fan page. A lot of the guys who are um, Donington veterans. veterans. Yeah. yeah, and and they go Which back. Are, to, we we are as well, of course. Well, yeah. you are. I'm. I'm. I, you know, my Donington experience was 2016, so I'm. I'm not exactly a veteran, but okay. it goes back to the old. You know, one stage, five six bands, which is which is what no they have done. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. horrible toilets, um, you know, bottles of, you know what, being thrown around. Yeah, good, good times, good times, great days. Exactly. So we... Right, we what, what else, Brian? Yeah, what else? so we touched on, uh, so obviously um, mm. we're recording the show today, um, which is the 31st of August, and in, an, and in a couple of days' time, Iron Maiden's album will uh, will be dropping. And from Indeed. what I from what I gather, it's getting a lot of rave reviews from yep. from from the media. Um, so we'll maybe talk about that in the next episode. But one album that has um, just been released in the last a few days or so is a great band, um, Canadian artist called Danko Jones. Danko Jones has got a brand new album out called Power Trio. It's a three piece band. It's Danko on guitar and his two mates on bass and drums. And interestingly, um, Danko asked a certain great guitar player in one of the greatest trios in heavy metal history to play guitar on the album, Mr. Phil Campbell. So Phil Campbell from Motorhead is guesting on Danko's album and the opening track on the album is a track called I Want Out. And I'll put it on the playlist for everybody. It is just a snorter of a track. It's good rock, bit punky, 
but it's nice to see Danko back. Um, I've, I started following Danko in the early 2000s. I've got a couple of his albums and then he fell out of my peripheral vision from a music perspective. But his new album, I've had a, I've had a quick listen through it. It's really, really good. So good to see some new music coming out, mate. And Danko yeah. Jones, yeah, power Absolutely. trio. I'm, I'm going to listen to it because it's got a song on it called Blue Jean Denim Jumpsuit, which I, I mean, the title alone is worth a listen. Surely, surely. It is. he's very good. He's very, very good. Um, uh, yeah. So thank, thank you. Uh, thank you. pretty good. And another, um, oh, more? there's more, another, another band. I, we've talked about this in the past. Um, you know, when, who's in the band and what's in the band, you know, remember a time about 10 years ago when who, who is Queensryche? What yes. is Queensryche? How many Queensryche are there? Mm. So, um, um, Alcatraz, um, a band I loved in the early 80s, um, who obviously Ingwie Ing- J. Malmsteen and um, Steve I were both in Alcatraz along with Graham Bonnet. But this isn't the Graham Bonnet version of Alcatraz. This is the version of Alcatraz with Jimmy Waldo and Gary Shea. And they have uh, just released a new album, which is either called V or Five. I'm not sure which one it is. And one of the busiest men in rock music on vocals is, uh, is singing on the album is Mr. Doogie White, who has played with Michael Schenker and he obviously uh, was the last singer in Rainbow um, before Ronnie Romero came in. So yeah, Alcatraz, new new music coming out. Um, so yeah, so lots of, lots of interesting new tunes on their way. Mm, very good. Well, I'm going to just mention two, two singles that are out at the moment. One is by the excellent Samantha Fish. Really good song. It's been out a few weeks called Twisted Ambition. I love it. It's Check fabulous. It it, Check it out, boys and girls. So I, and, I, and, I, and I did some research on Samantha Fish. She's been recording since 2009. She's American. And um, during that period, in some years, she's been um, recording two albums. I think that's, that's great. Good honour. That's it. The old days, isn't it? And yeah, <laughs> the other one, which another one, which I, I was listening to the radio on the, I, I went down to see, well, I didn't go on my own. I went with my wife to see my wife's family, mm-hmm. parents. Another song, which I'd like to draw everyone's attention to, is by Els Bailey, who's British. And it's a song called Cheats and Liars. Check that out. Another good, okay. good song. While we're on the subject. Because at some point, we need to think about our songs of the year, Brian. So I thought I'd start to plant a few seeds. Songs of the so, year. Oh, actually, we think about it. It's first of September tomorrow. We're we're into the, we're into the last quarter of the year. Oh, stop it! <laughs> You'll be saying the c word next, and we'll all be in trouble. <laughs> have you decided what you get me for Christmas yet? I have actually. Have you? Yeah. yeah, it's all pre-planned. Don't worry. I start my Christmas shopping at the end of August. You know, when I... <laughs> right. Uh, what else is there? Um, finally, well, almost finally. So, dream. This may be laugh today. I have to say, dream theater. Um, who we've talked about once or twice on the podcast have announced their UK tour, Ooh. <laughs> which is which is which is going to be great. All three dates of it. Um, but what made me smile? Of course, London, needless to say, is on the bill, is on the list, and on the itinerary. Uh, Newcastle, which is in the northeast of England, for those who don't know, which is fine. That caters for you know everyone else in England <laughs> Scotland as well and then Belfast yay, yay. some love ground. 
I don't know what I don't know which venue it is in Belfast. Is, is it the Queen's Hall still? Maybe I don't know. Um, uh, uh, oh gosh, that's a good. No, the it'll probably be there's a purpose built venue called the Odyssey. Um, that? Yeah, it's uh, that's the that's the big Enorma Dome that uh, that they play in. Apparently, is it, it might be the same place, the SSE Arena. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that the same same place. Same place. Just changes. Sounds great. Maybe we, should, maybe we should go and see them. Mine's on a Wednesday, though. It's quite close to my birthday, though. They're actually playing London on my birthday next year. Oh, okay. Say, you know, okay. if you want to okay. get in early, you know, and all that. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so that was, that was that made me laugh when I heard that. Because you're always whinging about, you know, UK tours just being London. And there's one in Newcastle, which is what? I don't know, a mere two hours from you. Exactly. Or a flight, then, a flight, but actually exactly. to be quicker, it's, it's a 30 minute flight from Edinburgh, Edinburgh to Belfast. <laughs> what's, your, what's your problem? Yes. My year in rock. Um, oh, your, is it your year in rock? N- no, it's, it's <laughs> oh, our year in rock. One, one's it's, year in rock. It's, it's one's year in rock, which, which is yours. And you obviously, um, podcast pickers last mm. episode Matt threw me the doozy of a year of 2003 and mm. I turned get, out to be okay though didn't it it was it was okay it was a school okay. of rock it's, yeah there was what? a few things and yeah. and you, for this episode you've got the year that was 2011 so yeah. tell me all about your year in rock in 2011 Matthew <laughs> wow what a- <laughs> What a build up. It's like whispering Bob Harris. <laughs> um, well, it's not, it's, well, I said not that long ago. It was 10 years ago. Yes. The big thing that I remember in 2011 was the second high voltage festival. And yes. they really, that was in London. It was a festival in London. It was short lived, it was only two years. It was like, this was the final one of the two. But they really got it right then. And then the bill, you and I went to both days, didn't we? Um, and A, I don't think you got heat strokes. It wasn't that hot. <laughs> but the bill was just incredible. Um, Judas Priest headlined the aforementioned Dream Theatre, also headlined the other night, Sunday night. Yeah. Also on the bill was Slash, Black Country Communion, Thunder, a certain Thin Lizzy. Yes, yeah. Queen's Right, we mentioned them earlier. Skin. Rival Sons were on the bill and... and yeah, they played two sets. I don't know if you remember, Brian, but it was quite sad circumstances in that there was a, a terrible mass shooting in Norway. So they stepped in when, um, I think it was Electric Wizard, could be wrong, yeah. dropped out, understandably, and Rival Sons stepped in. And I don't think we thought much of them, but now we love Rival Sons. Um, they were getting a lot of play at the time. I remember on Planet Rock, they, oh, yeah. they, they were getting really, really pushed as well as one of the early bands that was on the Sunday, which was a great band called St. Jude. I do remember St. Jude. They were, her Her vocal was just, oh. Lynn Jackman. Fabulous singer. singer. Fantastic singer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was a, that was probably the high point of the year. Went to a few gigs as well. Um, I remember, went to see um, Thin Lizzy also with uh, Sir Viv on guitar. God bless him. It was his birthday last week. Uh, lovely Sir Viv, 59 last week. Belated happy birthday, Viv. Happy and, birthday, um, Vivian. Yeah, he was uh, he was on with uh, Lizzie at the Indigo, which is a relatively small venue within the 
uh, O2 complex in London. You've yeah. been there, Brian? I've not been to the Indigo. No, no, no. I, uh, I've only, whenever I've been in the O2, I've seen the signs to it, but I've never been to the Indigo. No, never. Yeah, it's a cool little venue. It's like purpose built. So it's perfect sound and everything. Mm. Um, so the Foo Fighters at Milton Keynes Bowl that year. That was, and we talked about Milton Keynes Bowl. It's a great venue. It's a bowl. That way, anyone, you know, anyone's realised that. It's a bowl, it's bowl shaped. And you put a picture on our Facebook page as well, too. I did. You did. An, an aerial shot of the bowl. And um, that was a fun day. Roger Taylor from Queen came on, played a couple of songs. Alice Cooper came on and played uh, Under My Wheels. And I think I'm 18 with, uh, with the Foos. I mean, uh-huh. when, you're, when you're a Foo Fighter, when you're Dave Grohl, you can just basically say, Do you fancy coming and play? Yeah, of course. Got yeah. Um, and that was fun. Saw Rush at the O2 and saw uh, Alter Bridge and Blackstone Chariot at uh, Wembley Arena. So it was a good year for gigs. Um, did you, you, I mean, knowing you, Brian, you go to a gig like every other week, or at least you did, pre-lockdown, of course. Yeah. Any gigs that stood out for you in 11? In 11? Um, I, looked, I looked at 2011 and I actually think I saw every one of my favourite bands in 2011. Really? Like you, I saw Lizzie. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw King's X. I oh, saw, yes, of course. Yeah, I saw, I went, yeah. Do you like King's X then? I, I saw, I went to... Are they, are they one of your favourites? They are one of my favourite bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, yes, so, yes. Uh, so King's, King's X, X, Rush, It Bites, Glenn mm-hmm. Hughes. Wow. White Snake, saw White Snake. Um, um And then in three weekends in a row, I saw Brian Adams, Deep Purple and Alter Bridge as well as High Voltage. And then there was a lovely, uh, th- there was a lovely package that went out, uh, American really? Bands, which was Journey, Foreigner and Sticks. Mm. And that that was, 20, that was 2011. So no wonder I've got wow. tinnitus. Um, say, must be exhausting. <laughs> it, was, it was a really good year, um, 2011. Mm. What a great year for, for gigs. That was it. Yes. Yeah, it, it was fantastic, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Brilliant. You Any know, albums? Uh, none. No, I didn't buy any. Uh, yeah. no, no one. <laughs> none whatsoever. No, I, did, I wanted to. All right, I wanted to. Um, in, in no particular order. <laughs> um, White, White Steak brought out uh, Forevermore. I remember buying that. Actually, I've got it somewhere. I love it. It's all right, actually. It was in a kind of a box, wasn't it? Did you get this sort of the box <laughs> version, like a little cardboard box? Um, which probably has some other stuff with it as well, like, you know, coasters and pictures of David Coverdale and so on. Um, you, I, just, I know what I, you did. I know what, you what, probably did exactly the same as me. There was a classic rock um, magazine issue. There was. And what you got with it is you, you got, you know, the history of Whitesnake with DC. And you yes. went through all of the albums and then you actually paid for, you got the, you got the, um, the nice album with it as well too. So you usually say to me, I'm the one that gets suckered for the, for the, uh, deluxe super mm. package and whatever, but you were duped this time as well as me. Possibly. <laughs> I can't remember. Well, I did. Um, I was, I'm, I'm, I'm putting my hand up and said, look, I bought the special edition magazine from classic rock and, had David Coverdale and pretend plectrums from Doug Aldridge and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Great album. I um, <laughs> one thing, one thing I noticed, Brian, is if you know, I, I like to do my David Coverdale impersonation. You do, yes. I do. <laughs> but I noticed if you if you overdo it, you can turn it to John Luc Picard from Star Trek: The Next Generation. Make it so, number two. If you're not careful. <laughs> <laughs> 
God. Oh. Anyway, where do we get to? So that was Forevermore. It's a good song for that. <laughs> yes. Forevermore, the title track. Which is nice, actually. It's a really quite a romantic song. Um, I love it. I like it. It's a great song. Simply, Love, love Will Set You Free. I, I, I think you put out. That was good. Yeah, good grief. But it's, a quite, it's kind of classic White Snake in a way, isn't it? White Snake. Can't say White Snake without saying White Snake. White Snake. Um, <laughs> darling. <laughs> <laughs> Def Leppard released Mirrorball. I think it was their first live album. Good good for them. <laughs> no, I liked it. Did you not like it? I, I have it. I bought it. I paid my money. I don't like it. No, there's was some stinkers that, on yeah. there. Some, there's some, I mean, there's one or two songs you think, really? But I think it's good just for the intro and Rock Rock to Your Drop and Switch 65's on there. And I, I quite like it. I still play it every now and again. But, um, no, I mean, well, clearly not everyone's cup of tea. No. Right? Blimey. Very disparaging. No, I've got... I, I, Sorry, Joe, I've, if you're listening. I, and Viv. <laughs> Sorry, Viv, you're listening. You played on it. Jeez. I, Sorry, I, Viv. I love... I, I love the... Um, Probably it's probably one of my fa- in, in the in the big box set. You know the super duper deluxe super edition of Hysteria, where you get the the um, the, the live show from um, Denver in nineteen eighty eight on the Hysteria tour. Yeah. To me, that is that's def. I love watching. I've I have it in DVD and video, and I've got the CDs. That's what I listen to for Leopard Live. It's a bit like I know how many live albums from Thin Lizzy do they put out. But everybody either listens to Live and Dangerous or Life. So to me, I'm sure Mirrorball is really, really good, but I listen to the Denver show because I think that's my favourite leopard. Yeah, fair enough. Life. Fair enough. Um, also in 2011, Chicken Foot released their second album um, called Chicken Foot 3, which is classic kind of, uh, yeah, exactly. Tony <laughs> <laughs> Hagar, you, you know, tongue in cheek as always. Ha ha. Um, it's got some good songs in it. Quite a mature album because I, I felt like the first album was just a bit of fun, really. I mean, it's good songs in it. Yeah. So we know Avenida Revolution's killer tune yeah. of the first album. Um, second album was quite mature. Last Temptations on there. Um, Dubai Blues. I think you like that song. I Griffin love Devil. Dubai Blues, yeah. Um, there's some good stuff on there. I do prefer the first Chicken Foot album, I must admit. But, uh, good stuff, all the same. The Food Fighters had um, Wasting Light out, produced by Bush Vig, which we'll come on to later. We will indeed, or, yes. Or who will come on to later. Yes. Um, it's a good, good, good album, good solid album. We've got Rope on there. and Yeah, Walk. Rope's a great track. Yeah, you know. Um, so, yeah, some good stuff. Uh, Black Country Communion released their second album. Now, I have to mention this album because I could literally... I mean, it's there's no there's no filler on that album. It's so many good songs. The Battle of Hadrian's Wall. We touched upon that song before, which is a great Joe Bonamassa song. That's why he's singing it anyway. Uh, wrote it with um, Glenn Hughes and Kevin Shirley, that we also also shall mention mm. later. But my favourite song on the album, and this is this is your man, Glenn Hughes, at his finest. Cold is the song. Last last track on the album. And it is just an absolute beauty. But a great album all round. Um, it's got Man in the Middle on there, Battle of Hedges Ball, I mentioned, The Outsider. It's great stuff. Um, yeah, you go on and on and on about albums that you, this year, as as you may now add to, Brian. Well, you've, do you know what? You've pretty much... Co- You've you've pretty much covered a lot of the great albums on 2011. I have to say, 
I was really surprised with when we saw Black Country Communion at um, High Voltage in 2011. Mm. They, I can remember probably my as much as they did burn and they and they didn't do. They only did the one. I think they only did the one cover, which would have been burn. They they recorded a version of Medusa from uh, um, from Trapeze, but mm. the track that just I remember it to this day which is a track called Crossfire. And it was just, the stage sounded good. It was early evening and Black Country Communion were just like, they were they were great. And then I suppose they toured that album and then everything went <laughs> um, went a little bit quiet on BCC. So a really, mm. a really good album. Yeah, no, um, the, the, only, the only album I would call out, um, um, which on top of the, the the great albums that you've called out where um fly from here which was a which is an album from yes um that was that was kind of pulled together from um from work that Trevor Horn had done with yes from the drama days and they pulled that album together and for anybody who um is an occasional Yes fan or hasn't listened to them in a while. That's a really, really strong album. Uh, it's called Fly, Fly From Here. I saw them on the, the tour the next year, which was fantastic. And the first album proper for that um, Arnel Pinedo from Journey um, um, appeared on for for them, which was an album called Eclipse. Um, one of the the lead-off track, and that was a, a track called City of Hope. Um, obviously, it's about Manila, um, where um, Arnell's from. And it's just classic um, journey and a really, really good, really, really good album. So, yeah, 2011, that's the only ones I would chuck in. You you covered all the bases, my friend. Well, thank you. Yeah, it was a good year. Very good year. It was a good year indeed. So, mm. what happens now? Oh, I know. I remember. I have to. You give pick you a year. difficult year for me now. I'll get like 1974, you know, when ABBA's all over the charts or something. No, I won't. I'm going to give you, because we mentioned earlier, your 18th ah. before your 13 years at university. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to go, I'm going to go for 1989. Ooh. Which I think you'll like. There you go. There you go. Don't don't say I never give you anything, Brian. 1989. Consider it done. Consider it done. Alrighty. So, we've, and the show so far, we've talked a lot about our, our favourite bands, our favourite albums. We've even come up with our own classic, you know, our perfect lineups, Matt. Um, you know, who's our favourite singer and who's our favourite guitarist and all this kind of stuff. Yes, and I remember. Yeah, and I was I was reading this week about um, Jason Newstead. And it's obviously 30 years since the Black Album, Metallica's Black Album came out. And it got me thinking, you know, there's a great album, great songs, uh, killer single, well played and well produced. Mm. And then on the flip side, Jason Newstead came out this week and went, I was flipping livid. Did he use that exact word? No, he didn't. 
but this we don't swear on this show. That's true. Um, they're in the outtakes, Matthew. All the swearings in the outtakes. <laughs> All the swearings. So it, it got me thinking. It got me thinking about G- Jason Newstead this week. Was going. Um, whenever they, whenever they produced, they or recorded the album and Justice for All, there was no bass in it. That's right. Famously, zero bottom end. Exactly, and it just mm. got it just got me thinking about producers and yeah. and what makes what makes a great album. Um, what does a producer do? Because I think in a lot of ways, whenever Injustice for All came out, and everybody's going, "Where's the bass? Where's the bass?" It's the producer who gets it in the neck. So Bob yes. Rock, Bob Rock gets all the plaudits for Enter Sandman and really, really controlling what, um, you know, the output of that Black album, he gets loads of plaudits and the band played yeah. brilliantly. Yeah. And then Fleming Rasmussen, um, I believe at the request of, um, of <laughs> Lars and Hetfield, yeah. exactly, going, take the bass out. And for years, Fleming has actually taken the heat for that badly produced album so it just got it just just got me thinking we never seem to talk about the guy at the desk you know Mm. what does the producer do i think we all we all have an idea don't we um i mean i you know uh, some of us think you know they press the buttons and you know say you know do another take and all that sort of stuff but it's a lot more complex isn't it but I, i feel that you've researched this brian i i have usually what the producer does is they're, they're the ones that, as you say, supervise the performances. So they're the one that goes, you know, give me more, give me more, you know, give me more vocal. Um, you know, supposedly uh, Mott Langer just absolutely drives singers. I think he nearly drove Lou Graham demented on Foreigner 4 when he was trying to deliver, you know, the vocals for, you know, waiting for a girl like you, etc. But, but what's... So... They're the ones that are supervising the performance. Um, they're the ones trying to keep everything all positive, keep things moving, you know, from a scheduling perspective. Studios cost absolute bucket loads of money. And mm-hmm. they're usually the guy who you're shaping the music and you're also managing the budget. Now, it got me thinking, when I look back at great albums, like Hysteria, which we've talked about, there's Mott Langer. He's the guy that's that's trying to manage the budget. They were f- nearly four million quid over budget. Right. And even at 10 days before the album was supposed to be finished, they recorded Pour Some Sugar On Me because he said the album wasn't finished. Yep. And I just thought, th- there's, there's, there's a producer who's actually pulled Def Leppard through the, the schedule, the budgets, and get an album out. Then I look at his experience with Back in Black. And Back in Black was done in eight weeks. Yeah. Because you've got the songs, the singer, the studio. Malcolm and Angus were ready. Everything pre-prepared. And there you go. So, and one of the things I just wanted to explore with, explore with us here was the combinations of where a producer and a band work together and where it maybe hasn't clicked as well too. So when we talk about Metallica, Bob Rock and Metallica clicked for the Black Album, Mm. but obviously 
from a, my ears, other Metallica fans love it. The Injustice for All doesn't click with my ears and Fleming takes the heat for it. So yeah. what's your view in, in, in terms of, other, is there artists and producers where you go, great, no, nah, I didn't do it for me. Uh, well, of course. And it's interesting you should use those two albums um, kind of side by side, because you're right. I think when ACDC recorded um, Back in Black, which is, as we all know, you know one of the greatest rock albums ever, uh, it was recorded in the in the Bahamas yeah. with very very little distraction. Yeah, you know, they went there, they played the album, they played the songs, and ACDC knew what they wanted. They 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 used Langer on um, Highway to Hell, and obviously it worked out really well. The last album that Bon Scott made, and then they they obviously turned to him for um, Back in Black, and I think it's the difference between. In, in that in that respect, and you compare it just you know two albums side by side. Certainly, his his magic dust was sprinkled on both, but in different ways. Yeah. Def Leppard wanted to make a hugely complex album, um, you know, on a par with the, the best thing that Queen had ever made, with you know choral vocals and huge guitars and different rhythms and so on. Whereas ACDC, of course, are you know you just your classic five piece, new singer who was desperate to make a good impression did as many takes as you like probably worked as long as you like and as I said very few distractions Leopard on the other hand with, with Hysteria um, recorded over whatever it was three four years not only did they want to record another Night of the Opera or Day of the Races or whatever they also had the accident with Rick Allen mm. during the course of it which put them back in a couple of years and as you said Pour Some Sugar and Me took another month to record and obviously it was a huge excess for song and a hugely um, instrumental in taking the album stratospheric, but uh, and Phil Collins has said it. I think when they they then that studio time meant they needed to, have to sh- needed to shift another five million copies of an album, yeah. and we take those figures for granted. I mean, anyone who's ever been in a band, if you sell a hundred copies of your your album, you're over the moon. Yeah, to sell a million, I mean, it's just ridiculous when you think about it. Back in Black is the third greatest selling album of all time and Hysteria is probably like number 15 or something. Um, but it could have all been so different with Hysteria because they they originally had, had gone for, um, well, their record company had suggested Jim Steinman to record or to rather to produce Hysteria. And uh, this is all from uh, obviously documentaries and stuff, but Joe Elliott pointed out that it was Todd Rundgren who produced Bow Hell, responsible for the sound. Jim Simon wrote the songs, great yeah. songs that they were, but the whole orchestration and that whole wall of sound was the work of um, Todd Rundgren on, on the original Bow Hell in 1976. So, you know, it, who knows what uh, Hysteria would have sounded like if, if they'd have kept Jim Steinman. Cost him a huge amount of money to pay out his contract, but history would suggest they made the right decision. When I was matching up great artists with great producers to, to create, you know, a great album, you had to have, you have to have Bad Out of Hell on that list. And, mm. and, and when I look at Bad Out of Hell, it is Todd Rundgren who's recorded that album. Yep. And then it just got me thinking, okay, um, that's the great album what artists do then is if you've got a if you've got a great formula, think like Van Halen for example. Van Halen recorded 
all the way through from their debut album all the way through to 1984 with Ted Templeman. Yeah. And yeah. he he evolved with them and they evolved the sound. But when I look at when I look at Meatloaf and Meatloaf's Battle to Hell, which is I suppose if you're gonna do your debut album and it's your greatest album, is where do you go from next? And yeah. I, I I listened to some more of of Meatloaf's material and there's an album which I which I like the lead track of it, which is which is Midnight at the Lost and Found. Mm-hmm. Yep. But it's not produced by Todd Rundgren. It's produced by Tom Dowd. And it just doesn't work for me. It doesn't mm. have that... Mm. It doesn't have that operatic cabaret, etc. So to me, when I look at, you know, that jigsaw puzzle of a great, well-produced album with great singles, great performances, etc., Mm. I put in my jigsaw puzzle for Meatloaf, I put Todd with Meatloaf and Tom Dowd. It's a great album. He's an amazing producer, but it just mm. doesn't click for me around around that material. You look at 1987, that is the album for Whitesnake. It's where mm-hmm. they, you know, and, you know, Keith Olsen, you know, a very, very sheen American produced, uh, yeah. you know, phenomenal album. And then I compared it to Saints and Sinners. Mm. And I went, Martin Burtz produced it, who yep. is one of the greatest producers ever. But Whitesnake were, for all that Martin Burtz can do, and he's worked with Purple, and he's mm-hmm. he's done that whole confidence. But Saints and Sinners was basically, David recorded the album with a band that he was either just sacking or had just sat, uh, was just about to sack. Whitesnake yep. were done. Martin's got to put a name against that and go, well, I produced that album. And you go, well, actually mm. circumstances maybe went against Whitesnake that they just were not in the headspace to produce an amazing work where, if you think about it, the comparisons between Hysteria and, and 1987, how many years were Whitesnake working on 1987? Three or four years? Right. They were well in the hawk and needed to sell, you know, millions of albums to break mm. even as well too. David was mm. so in debt, backs against the wall, and you deliver the, de- deliver a great album. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, there's been some good examples of, of bands that have chosen right and and chosen incorrectly, as we said, Matt Langer earlier, ACDC used him until For Those About to Rock, and then not after that. And some would say that 80s period of ACDC. Now, whether it's the songs or the production or the era, who knows? But there seems to be a correlation there between you know, the fact they didn't use Lang and sales maybe didn't reach the same peak as it was. Well, certainly didn't reach the same peak as, as, as Back in Black. And you're right about Martin Birch. Martin Birch was the classic kind of British rock producer. Yeah. As you say, Deep Purple, Iron Maiden, White Snake, White Snake, um, Black <laughs> Sabbath, you know, Heaven and Hell is is, is Martin Birch's work. Um, Iron Maiden. Fantastic. Maiden, exactly. Um, uh, except the first album, which is very thin production. Uh-huh. And Martin was busy with the Black Sabbath dude, Heaven and Hell, and otherwise that would have, the album itself would have been maybe a different kettle of fish. So, you know, there's a fine line between good production and bad production, I guess. You do need the songs, ultimately. I mean, I was looking down the list of who produced what, and um, Bob Rock 
we touched upon earlier. Um, and he was kind of given this, you know, beautiful array of songs with the Black Album. Uh, in the same sort of era, recorded King the Kingdom Come album, which has been derided over the years, <laughs> for obviously it's, it's Zep sound alike. Um, uh, and, you know, that's the comparison. You know, you need good songs, really, ultimately. And, and Metallica were at that kind of, you know, that purple patch. The stars were aligned. Had some, you know, amazing tunes, Sabbath True and Nothing Else Matters and, um, you know, The Unforgiven, just some yeah. great tunes. Yeah. And Bob Rock had to just sprinkle his magic dust over them and and that was that. Interestingly, I was reading recently that um, he sworn after the Black Album, and they, because Metallica are notoriously difficult to work with, <laughs> especially not not all of them, just, just Hetfield and, and Ulrich, for reasons we touched upon earlier. And... Um, Bob Rock said, I'm never going to work with you two again. And he ended up doing the next three or four albums with them, Load and Reload, and finished with some anger. Yeah. And Lee said about that the better, <laughs> I think. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, it's it's an interesting one. I'm always I'm always intrigued by this, and I'd be interested to get your view on this. But I mean, I'm always intrigued when bands say, Oh, you know, he was the sixth member or the fifth member of the band, sort of thing. And I was thinking, well, is that, is that a good thing? Because do you want someone who's going to, you know, really kind of bully you? And, you know, as Martin Birch used to do, Martin Headmaster Birch, I think he was, he had a different nickname on every he album. He did, didn't he? Yes, um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, bully you into doing take after take after take. And the take of um, Bruce Dickinson on Number of the Beast, that big scream at the beginning, uh-huh. was basically like take 84. And Bruce just basically had enough. He is, and that... that Scream is just basically his outpouring of frustration. So I'm never never quite sure as to whether, you know, fifth member is a or sixth member or whatever it is, should is a is a good situation to be in. Uh, yeah, and, and I was looking at when I was looking at producers, I, I looking at the topic, I would agree with you because there are some artists or there's some producers who have a sound. So you take someone like Okay, it may not be in the rock genre, the the rock sphere that we're talking about, but you look at someone like Jeff Lynne. So you think of Jeff Lynne, and when he records ELO or Jeff Lynne's ELO, it's a very polished production. Um, and when he produced Tom Petty's solo album Full Moon Fever, that sounds very ELO, and it's got Jeff yeah. on it. And then George Harrison's album Cloud Nine has got a very ELO feel to it. So mm-hmm. sometimes a producer brings a sound in with them. And and when I listen to Hysteria, and then you listen to Waking Up the Neighbours by uh, Brian Adams, mm-hmm. which was in 1991, you listen to the gang vocals that's in, on that album. You might as well have... Joe Elliott, it's it's very it's it's Mutt Lang is doing all the backing vocals, yeah. but it just sounds that layered, complex sound. So Mutt comes with the sound, and for me, if that works for an artist, that that's the producer's molding a sound. I'm much more of a fan of a producer like Martin Birch, who will go in with Purple Maiden, and it still sounds like Iron Maiden. It's mm. it's it it it, it he, Martin Birch didn't have a sound, but what he did was he he 
was a great engineer, good producer, and made the band make sure that they were prepared to go into a studio and and be ready to work pre-production and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, yeah. yeah so I do like that. I know what you mean, but I like the uh, some of the stories about Matt Lang and particularly the, the gang vocals. He, he introduced that on Highway to Hell with ACDC, and I think that as long as as well as the good songs on that album, you know, Girls Got Rhythm and Walk All Over You, and yeah. obviously the title track, Touch Too Much. Um, you know, he introduced that sort of gang vocals because before then, ACDC was um, produced by Vander and Young, um, yeah, George yeah. Young, the older brother of the of the Young Brothers, and they had a certain sound. But he he kind of added that, like, as you call it, gang vocals, a sort of layered vocals, and all of a sudden, yet commercial, radio friendly, uh-huh. still still the ACDC sound, but they've moved on from that barroom kind of rabble. Yeah. That they once were, and similarly, famously again, he—I he, think you told me this—he um, made Joe Elliott do that little squeal on the end of his vocal lines because apparently, you know, it appeared it appealed appealed to women, and of course, women—you know, big demographic <laughs> listens to rock music. You know, let's let's have them. And Dave Lee Roth did it as well. He, he kind of did it. I think maybe it was whether Dave Lee Roth did it or. Matt Lang picked up on it and so on and so forth. Yeah. The other the other example that I also like um, is, and we haven't talked, we talked about Butch Vig earlier. Did you know Butch Vig's real name is Brian, by the way? I didn't know that at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Butch Vig, great producer, great moustache. Um, <laughs> seems like a really nice guy. But he uh, he re- obviously recorded as as we touched on earlier in the last episode he recorded Nevermind with Nirvana yeah um, and he he got the best out of Kurt Cobain both from a guitar perspective and also vocally and he again famously convinced Kurt Cobain to double track his vocals and because the only reason he was able to do that is to say oh by the way John Lennon you know you're a big fan of John Lennon well he used to do that. And all of a sudden, Kirk, I can, you know, you can picture it. Kirk Cobain's ears pricked up. But you listen to little soul things on that Nevermind album. Um, and, you know, there are certain little tweaks that you think that's that helped to make that album, as well as the great songs and the great plagues. You can't have a, you don't have a good album. You can have the greatest producer ever if you've got terrible songs, of yeah. course, and horrible playing. Um, but little tweaks like that, I think, are, are fascinating. Those little... It's a totally, I, and he's a drummer as well too. And I think, yeah, but but obviously he 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 plays drums, or he, he did play drums in Garbage, who he's produced as well too. Oh, that's right, of course, yeah. Um, yeah. and you can just when you listen to that that drum break at the beginning of Smells Like Teen Spirit, it's just you know you can just tell. Obviously, the the albums before that were very lo-fi, you know that sort of mm. Seattle sound. Mm. Mm. And don't get me wrong, there was no big budget for Nevermind. They were still, mm. you know, um, I think Butch basically was given, you know, a very very small, meager, um, you know, budget to work with. They recorded yeah. in his studio, did overdubs, and it was done really really quickly. That's right, and and just. Uh, but but he he was able to de- deliver it, um, and and you're right. He, he just he just had a way in which um, he recorded the the band. Uh, history or, or Kurt wasn't very kind to Butch after that, unfortunately, because he said, oh, really? "Yeah, he, he um, 
um, I, I think um, he, he wasn't very happy with how the album, when the album was put out. And I think originally he was, oh, you know, the production team, but he actually um, uh, wasn't happy with the mixing of the album and the album had been mixed by somebody different. He said mm. it, had, it had been produced brilliantly and engineered brilliantly by Butch, but actually the mixing of the album um, Kurt wasn't happy with but so so for me I, when I was looking at when I was kind of looking at this topic of um, of producers you know are they um, you know what what do they do and and how do they do it and when we looked at you know we've we've t- we've touched on some of the great producers you know we um, we've not mentioned people like Tony Visconti who to me George Martin George Martin um you know Kevin Shirley, who's probably the new Martin Birch. Yep, um, yep. But but I I I think of somebody like Tony Visconti, who um, a bit like Mott Langer, when a band is in disarray, um, like Thin Lizzy were in 1979, they were mm. all over the place. They were in you know uh, Black Rose was being um, trying to be recorded and. You know, for whatever reasons, the band was not functioning well. Gary Moore was back in it, and Tony Visconti pulled that band together and recorded them. Uh, some of the songs he recorded them in concert pitch because Phil was being quite uh, Thin Lizzy have always famously been, uh, I've always sung down half a semitone to, okay. be, to be easier on Philip's voice, yeah. and obviously yeah. for the tone of his voice, he, you know, he's got that nice sort of low timber. But mm-hmm. Visconti pushed them hard and and, really? and made sure that they recorded that album, some of it in concert pitch, and he worked them really hard. And I and I think someone like Visconti really earned his money as a producer when a band was just like um, really not in a great place. Um, mm. So I I, I summer I I just would like to having having done a little bit of research in this on mm. the topic of production, I actually came up with what I think is the six, six S's for creating the perfect album. So here's my S's. You got to have the the songs, the single, you think about Black Album, Black Album hits with Sandman. Um, Back in Black, You Shook Me All Night Long. You know, it's the single. The sound, and when I talk yep. about the sound, that's the production, the 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 mixing, the singer, mm-hmm. singer's got to be on it. Yep. The studio, I think you've got to get the right. You talked about the Bahamas, you got to the right mm. studio, and the final one was the situation. Where are the band? Are the band back to the wall? This is the this is they're in an album, a bit like Def Leppard, but like White Snake, and they're just gonna this album. It's all out. We're going to produce the best work. Mm. And that's what I would summarize what makes a great album. And if you've got a good producer that helps you to do that, um, then then you're going to have the next Hysteria 1987 mm. back in black. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's go. good. Yeah. So one of the things I'd be interested, um, mm. we'll put up on the we'll put up on the Facebook page. Um um, some of the great, some of the albums that we think are sonically super, and and we'll juxtapose it with some of the albums from the same artists where it maybe was a little bit short, 
uh, from a production perspective. Be really interested to hear what uh, what our listeners think about some all of the albums. Them. All twelve of them. All twelve of them. In yeah. terms of with these artists, which ones were your favourite albums produced, and which ones weren't? There yep. you go. Good call. It's not a competition, though, is it? Just checking. It's not a competition. No, good. No, because you know why. We have no budget. Correct. <laughs> right, should we move on? We will do. Hidden gems. It is. Shall I, shall I do it? You do it. Ready? Uh-huh. Hidden gem time. Hashtag HGT. 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 That's got to go, trend now, you see. I mean, I'll put that out there. Hashtag HGT. By the way, talking to Twitter, we should give a shout out to our new creative consultant, shouldn't we? Could- really? We've got someone who helps I thought he was with- a director. I thought he was a creative director. Have you, have you he- demoted him to creative consultant? Yeah. Yeah, okay. uh, he's consultant. He's not, he's not, don't give him a, too much of a title. It'll go to his head. Um, our Twitter is looked after by Kelvin Bath, and also he helps us out with a few ideas. So thanks, Kelvin. Um, right, anyway, where are we? So hidden gem time. <laughs> I just can't hold that note very long. I must work on that. Right, so what you got for us, Brian, this week, this time? What this have I got episode for you? 18, episode 18. E- episode 18. Um, I, I am going to go with a band that was formed in 1989. Oh, really? Mm. How appropriate. I, I, no, and... You, you, wow, that's, that's, there's no such thing as coincidences, as they say. Well, it's, isn't it bizarre that, it that I bizarre. go with an album in 89 and you give me... Uh, which, which obviously means I can't put this album in my, in my year of rock next time. And it may have... It, it, would it have made it? Who knows? I know. And I just thought, wow, I, I, I love this album when it came out. So this is a band called Badlands... Yeah. Badlands um, was formed, founded by Jakey Lee from the Ozzy Osbourne band. A great singer, sadly uh, missed uh, Ray Gillen, who obviously sang in Black Sabbath as well too. Mm-hmm. Eric Singer, who now is earning his trade as the cat in Kiss. Um, he was on drums and the bass player was Greg He's Jason. He's milk and sardines though, doesn't he, apparently? <laughs> as the cat in Kiss. Did you know that? I didn't know that. It's a true story. <laughs> Doesn't get money or anything. Just wants cat. Just wants milk and sardines as the cat. All right. Anyway, sorry. So, so uh, my, right. my my hidden gem for this episode is the debut album by Badlands. It's it's called Badlands. Um, it's a phenomenal album. Um, I remember when the uh, the MTV video came out in '89 of a track called "Dreams in the Dark." Fantastic song. Wasn't it just, it was oh, like... killer. Absolutely killer track. And just then... pure M.O.R. ladled on. Fantastic. It was, it was fabulous. And um, I've, I followed, I followed uh, Badlands all the way through. Never got to see them live. Um, I do have a bootleg of a show that they played in the Astoria. Already? Uh, yeah. And, and it was basically, I think Jake fired... Ray, <laughs> I think he fired him on the stage that night. It was oh, really? it, they were very, very um, com, um, combustible, combustible, yeah, mm. as a band. But um, great, great band, and and harken back to the old four piece free type. You know, Ray Gillen could sing the the phone book. As far as I'm concerned, he's an amazing, amazing vocalist. 
Amazing singer, fantastic. Um, Sadly missed. Yeah. What would he? What would his career have been if he'd have uh, could have lived? He but yeah, been. um, that's great. That's a great shout, Brian. A very great shout. A very great, very good, <laughs> great shout. So I've got an album as well, actually, oh. for a change. I've got actually. I've got a, a secondary hidden gem, which I'll come to in a minute. Okay. There's an album that came out in 2000. I'm not sure we we, we might have missed this when we did that. Stellar year that was 2000. Okay. Few podcasts ago. So after Slash left Guns N' Roses in the early 90s, he formed Slash's Snake Pit. And in 1995, put out an album called It's Five O'Clock Somewhere. Yeah. And uh, which you know about, Brian, because it's got one of your favorite singers on it, Eric Dover. Fabulous singer. Great guitar player, too. Yeah. Exactly. Great singer. But it's the follow up to that, which came out in 2000, which I'm going to talk about very, very quickly. Which is absolutely, in my opinion, great album. Ain't Life Grand, it's called. Came out in um, 2000. And I defy anyone to listen to the opening track and not, it's a feel good rock. It's it's a good album all over, but the song Been There Lately. It's one of those, we've got this new feature coming up, which you don't know about, Brian, called (laughs) The Comfort Zone. Okay. Now, it's, it's going to be songs or albums that you go to, to either rejuvenate you, to chill you out, distress, or whatever. Anyway, I quite often turn to Been There Lately by Slash's Snake Pit. So I want a bit of a kick up the backside if I want to get the day going. I'll put that on because it is a great tune. It has got a great song called Shine, Mean Bone, Just Like Anything. I mean, just, just good stuff. Rod Jackson is, was the singer on it. Great singer. Um, also features Kelly Hansen on backing vocals on one or two of the songs. Produced by Jack Douglas. Now, we haven't talked about Jack, um, but he worked with um, John Lennon and Yoko Ono. He worked with Cheap Trick, New York Dolls. So another one with a great pedigree as a producer. Anyway, enough waffling. My hidden gem <laughs> this week is Eight Life Grand. Now I've got a second secondary hidden gem. Now earlier we talked about a variety of producers, and I noticed there's a new series of classic albums has come out. Yes, recently. Now classic albums is one of those TV shows been going on for a long, long time. You find it online, uh, and they've covered all manner of different albums, whether it be rock or reggae or blues or or whatever. And there's a few rock albums that you know we've been inspired by. Let's say, yeah. Um, they do a great review of Hysteria Nevermind's on there The Black Album And recently um, There's uh, an excellent uh, review of Songs from the Big Chair Which is the Tears for Fears album Which is a great album It is a brilliant album Songs from the Big Chair I know it's not rock And also uh, The Who Sell Out So they brought, them, they brought the series up to date So check out the series Classic albums Some new stuff um, Has been recorded And has been put out Just good stuff Good behind the scenes review of the albums and uh, and how they were put together and the, the players and, the, and so on. Excellent. Those are my gems. Hashtag HGT. HD, hashtag HGT. It's a bit of a mouthful there, isn't it? Hashtag HGT. We mm. probably need to stick that in the Google and, and make sure oh, that yeah. it doesn't come up with, with something. Oh, that's true. That's a terrorist <laughs> group somewhere or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good point. Good point. I will... Yes. Yes. As always, thanks for listening, everyone. 
We appreciate it. Get in touch, as I would say. Facebook, Twitter, at FTAT pod, hash HGT. <laughs> and, and See if you, you next time. <laughs> and if you like the show, um, we always usually say at the start of the show, but we missed it this time. Um, we're on Apple Podcasts and other um, uh, podcasting services. So subscribe to the show um, and you'll get all of the latest uh, latest shows when they come out as well too. Matt, we I shall see you next time. Have a great rest of the week and I'll see you soon. Take you, care. Mate. All right. Bye. Bye. For those about to pod, we salute you is a Mealy Rogers Media Production. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe. We'll see you next time.